in my case, it was a very special where I am the user, and I have a very high personal touch with my customers. I knew them for a long time. I'm part of this real estate syndication masterminds, so I know them well, and they know my name. So what we built is really a combination of how many times have the customers complained about this? Do I think it's a legitimate concern? It's an art. There's no metric that can tell me any of it. Doing something is better than trying to come up with the most optimal way. My name is Perry Zhang, and I'm founder and CEO of Cashflow Portal. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lampart, and today how Perry Zhang created the solution to his problem to streamline syndicated real estate investments. All this and more on Code Story. Perry Zhang graduated in 2010 from Duke University. He became a software engineer working for big-name companies like Amazon, Twitter, and Lyft. During his time at Lyft, he started tinkering with real estate investment, buying single-family dwellings here and there. Outside of tech and real estate, he likes to travel a lot and find the best food around. When asked what was the best restaurant he'd been to, he promptly noted Le Bernardin in New York City was top-notch. Once he had a few single-family dwellings in his portfolio, Perry decided to syndicate a deal for a multifamily complex. In doing this, he quickly realized how complicated the process was to get it done. He decided to apply his technology and create something to solve the problem. This is the creation story of Cashflow Portal. Cashflow Portal is the angelus for real estate investing. It is a marketplace where investors can look for real estate syndicators and invest in their projects. I got started because when I was raising money for this 172 unit apartment complex, we raised $4.3 million from 70 investors. So that means I need to prepare 70 DocuSigns, send it to the investors. They sign it, send it back. I open the DocuSign, extract the investment amount on my spreadsheet, send an email with the wire instructions. They send the wire. I send another email saying the wire has been received. So initially, I created a company to solve the utility problem, which is saving their time and managing their investors. Now, we build a successful real estate syndication software we are turning it into a destination for capital. There are not that many great syndicators in the world, and passive investors would love to meet those syndicators and invest in their future projects. Well, tell me about the MVP. So that first version you built, how long did it take you to build, and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? This might be a contrarian view. I start the company while working at my full-time job. I moonlight for a year and a half before I quit my job. During those a year and a half, I was working 80, 100 hours a week. And I I didn't even count that I worked that many. It just kind of happens. So what that means is because I have two jobs, I'm not doing that much marketing 
or advertising, I was very heads down building the product and getting feedback from customers about the product. I built a team. I did not code myself. I did not write a single line of code, even though I could code. I hired a team that's outsourced, but specific engineers, not a engineering outsourced firm. I'm an engineer manager, so I can interview. I'm very technical. I know exactly what I want, and I hired the engineers to build it. It's a very iterative process. So started with three, and then became five, became seven engineers. Worked on this for a year and a half. I was having one-on-ones with them. Read their tech specs, reviewed the code, but I never code. And it wasn't up till a year later do we have a meaningful product that we can equity raise. At that time, we probably have about ten beta users, and not many people are paid. Maybe one or two of them are paid. I raised money with my own product a year later. Six months later, we went from ten users. To more than two thousand five hundred users, and we've been making revenue ever since. In that year and a half, it was scary because I spent you know more than four hundred k at that point, and there's nothing to show for it. <laughs> um, but I consciously chose that path.、Uh, that's how I built it. With the MVP, did you? Did you choose to build a team sort of out of necessity that you were doing this on the side, or because you could code, or or was it something where you really liked those developers and you wanted to sort of be hands off from the beginning? The decision calculus was: what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses? So the first part is: I have a high paying job as an engineer manager at Lyft. I could quit and. Coded myself. It turned out that my biggest asset is I make money off my day job, and that by staying at Live, I take all the money I made that year into building the company. I told myself if the company is not successful for this one year, I basically wasted one year, learn a lot, but financially there's no reward, and I'm okay with that result because the alternative is that even if I'm a superhuman coder, I will not be as good as five engineers. Okay, so that's one. Number two is more of a meta point, which is I always try to do what is the equilibrium, then try to do a transition into the equilibrium. In the equilibrium, if the company is successful, I will not be coding. So why should I be coding in the meantime? What happens then is the trade-off is I am very financially secure with this approach because as long as I work full time, I live. The company will never run out of money. I used to joke that we have 99 problems, and cash flow is not one of them. On the other hand, the the con the con is that there's no time. There's there's way too much work. But I really enjoyed that period because that's when we just almost on a secret mission to do this on moonlight. It's hard because people tell me. This is stupid. You should have raised money. You should have built an MVP. You should start generating revenue. I said I am. I'm getting closer and closer. But yes, I actually don't care that much. But it's painful. You know, you see money going down the drain, and you're not getting rewarded until finally it, we do get rewarded. <laughs> With an any MVP, you have to make certain decisions and trade-offs about what you're going to to build in the beginning and what you're not. Right, and what sort of technical debt you're going to take on, and tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to make, and how you coped with those decisions. I don't think there's a single path that is right or wrong. I can tell you one of 
my biggest mistake, and it's a illuminating example. A year into the development, what I built was a way to add investors and to share documents, financials. And when I showed this to users, they said this is cool, but I still don't want to pay for it because the biggest pain point they have is the period in which they are raising money. That's when they need the document and all this tool the most. And what we built is that post-closing logistics. And at that time, they already have all the documents. They are using Google Doc, Google Drive, but the pain point is not big enough that they want to take the time to transition. And they also don't want to incur a cost because they just already closed on the deal. What I should have done is reverse the order, build the equity raising tool first, and then build the post acquisition tool. But I I was not very smart and I did it the wrong way. So a year into it, I was kicking myself as I I messed up. This is not cool. I made a wrong decision. I reversed the order, and now we still don't have any customers. So we spend the next three months. Building the equity raising tool, and then after that, that's where everything start taking off. But in those three or four months, I thought the company was like, "This is it. That I don't think we can go much further because there's no customer." It end up not being as bad of a decision as I thought because once we start scaling, people are asking for documents, emails, signatures, all that, and we already built it. So there's no pain point on scaling. People just come in and say, "Oh, wow, you are more mature than I thought." So we're not constantly keeping up, but we did we did the order wrong. It was painful. The good news is that it's really easy to scale because that was the last piece we needed. If I have to do it over again, I probably won't take this approach. But at the same time, I think this approach is better for the customers. It's just very painful for the founder. So, so from that point, right, you got the MVP done. How did you progress the product, and how did you mature it? And I think the best context for that question is, or the best context for that question is, how did you build your roadmap and decide, okay, this is the next most important thing to build? What we I can say is, we don't do analytics. We don't have A/B testing. I don't believe in A/B testing for if you have, you know. Less than one thousand traffic a month. Right? It does. It just doesn't work. In my case, it was a very special where I am the user, and I have a very high personal touch with my customers. I knew them for a long time. I'm part of this real estate syndication masterminds. My Facebook friends. I have at least two thousand people who are syndicators, so I know them well, and they know my name. And so when I go to conferences, I take the opportunity to just ask them what they want. Their questions. We will set up a user interview to ask very specific questions. But I was pretty good at just in a normal conversation, you know, try to pinpoint what is the thing that that drives them, and then compare with my personal experience, and then synthesize it. So what we built is really a combination of how many times have the customers complained about this? Do I think it's a legitimate concern? And second is. What we build is that foundational to what we are going after. It's an art. There's no metric that can tell me any of it. And the other thing is, doing something is better than trying to come up with the most optimal way. Because by the time you sort all the priorities, you just waste the time and you haven't done any work. And second, three days later, that priority needs to change again because you have more information. So I always believe that just do something. 
at least you get one of them down. That might be actually the seventh or fifth priority, but at least that fifth priority is knocked out at this point. Well, let's switch to team then. So how did you build your team? How are you building your team? And what you what are you looking for in those people to indicate they're the winning horses to join you? Startups are the hardest because the initial people that join your team will have a bad apple, 8 out of 10. The initial team members usually is you have most people that are still looking for a job and you are the last choice and you're the only one who hired them and that's why they chose you. Unless you are a second time founder and so on and so forth and then you have a close friend who believe in that mission, which is totally, you know, kudos to you uh, when you can find that. And even that it has its own problems. So just note that statistically, people are not actually very smart by choosing you over them. So what happens with us is the first engineer that I hire is from Upwork. They are the first one to respond to my job post. I hired them. They are amazing. Then I thought this is easy. So I interviewed 20 more engineers from Upwork. They absolutely all suck. So I got really, really lucky with that first engineer. If that were the 21st engineer I interviewed, I probably would have given up on the company. I do think that the first engineers you interview are probably the better ones because those people tend to be more proactive anyway. So there is some truth to it. So it's not necessarily an anomaly that the the first people you interview are actually the best. So then I was struggling to fire more engineers. It turned out that that engineer passed a tent lead that they are friends with. That engineer has a designer they are friends with. So the next like two or three engineers were all recommended by them. (laughs) And then there was another person that's referred by someone else. And then they refer like two more engineers. Most of the team is actually referred by like three or four C generators. That's it. It's, It's a little bit crazy. I actually didn't hire that many people externally. It was just, I got lucky with those good engineers. They like the company, they refer more people, and then it kind of snowballed from there. So let's flip to scalability then. So are you building this to scale efficiently from day one, or are you fighting this as you grow and gain traction? Scalability is a spectrum. We didn't build it to scale, but we are good engineers such that it just automatically scales. It's a spectrum. Like, we will never say that, oh, let's just make it work and then hope for the best. In every technical decision, we wait how long it will take us to do this extra week of dev work to build a foundation versus could I get a something just up and running. As long as the dirty hack doesn't make us make it more difficult to scale and revert in the future, we will do the dirty hack. But if it means a big migration will be coming down to us, if we take this hack, we will do the more scalable way. It's absolutely an art. But I'm very, very happy to say that when the customers start growing and coming in like crazy, we did not do have to do a single migration. I don't know how that happened. During that one year, midway through it, six months into it, I found that our infrastructure is not scalable. And then I spent another two months redoing all the data models. And I'm so glad we did. And that's why we didn't have any migration or backfields we need to do. I think I'm leaning on the side that we were built to scale. But I didn't think of it that way. I just think that that's how you do it. 
As you step out on the balcony and look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of the culture that we built. And there are a lot of people right now, they're like from Facebook. They used to work at Facebook for like seven, eight years at this point. And they are, some of them used to work there and they are like working here part time. Some of them are looking to join and they are like helping out and then join full time. And they say, Perry, your culture reminds me of the early days of Facebook. Now, these are good engineers, so they're not, they not telling the fluff. And I said, yeah, that's kind of the culture I have at Lyft, which is very abnormal for a startup, that we actually have a strong culture where people are competent, kind, and just get things done. I'll give a story on maybe what I'm most proud of. I care about hiring the best engineers. So I was in New York City for a conference. There is one student in Boston goes to MIT. I said, if you want to grab coffee, I am in Boston. If you want to get coffee, they said, yes. How about Wednesday 9 a.m.? I said, done. I took a 5 a.m. plane to Boston, meet up with him, and then came back 2 p.m. That one trip totally messed up my sleep schedule for that whole week. But this person goes to MIT. He was an international math Olympian, three times in high school, silver and then gold. He is one of the best engineers that I have ever seen. We end up actually not being able to close that engineer. And to this day, they still don't know that I was actually not in Boston. I just made the trip to meet up with him. But that example taught me what I want the company to be, which is I will do anything and everything possible to hire the best talent and then build a strong culture around it. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. There are many mistakes that we have made. One of them I mentioned before, which is I made the wrong decision to build one feature over the other. So the sequence was wrong. The other mistake for me, I still don't know how I can get out of it. We have about 16 people now, 12 engineers. I still have one-on-ones with them. I was talking to a senior mentor and I said, I need to do sales, marketing, one-on-ones, roadmap, customer interviews, which is the one thing I cannot skip. And they say that each one of those things sounds like a full-time job for a person and that I'm just reading them like the ingredients of a recipe. So the mistake which I'm still currently making is that I'm not able to scale as fast the team as fast as I can. So we are looking for an engineer manager who can be the layer of abstraction between the engineers and me. I'm the last one to give up because I came from an engineer manager background. I think I'm still making that mistake. Now I realize that's a mistake and I need to start hiring so that I can free up my time to do other things. So what does the future look like for Cashflow Portal, the product, and for your team? We want our persona, customer persona, to be real estate investor. We actually don't want to take this product and help startups manage their cap table. That's what we don't want to do. So if our persona is a real estate investor, Cashflow is the brand, Portal is just a feature. We will have Cashflow investing, Cashflow wallet, where people can put money in and invest any in any real estate. Cash flow underwriting that allows syndicators to analyze deals. 
cash flow management, which is a property management software, cash flow vendors, which is a place for syndicators, investors to look for the best service providers in their market, cash flow lending, cash flow legal. We want to be a one-stop shop for real estate investors because that is our customer persona. Let's switch to you, Perry. Who influences the way that you work? You know, name a person you look up to and why. I learned a lot from my corporate job at Lyft, where I was a software engineer, then became a engineer manager. The one person they really shaped how I manage, how I think about management. The example is I was a software engineer, and they were a manager, and I was on call. And I had a hives, this severe itching. So I was admitted to the 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 urgent care, not life threatening or anything, but definitely I was admitted to urgent care. And I told my manager that I'm so sorry, I'm on call. That can you take over on call to someone else? I'm you know in the urgent care right now. And the manager said that that's completely fine. Take care of your body. Take care of your health. We will we we will handle this no problem. And do you need a ride from the hospital? The manager does not have to say that. And you know, till this day, I still don't know if it's sincere or not. But I do know that it worked on me. I was, you know, I was young, impressionable. I was like, dang, this is the best manager. And then all the actions that they did after that show that they are a kind manager and they actually care about the direct reports. People tend to mimic and model others. And that's the mindset, and that's who I want to become a manager as well. So whenever people are sick and whatnot, I sympathize, empathize, forget about work, treat it. And then I used to think, wouldn't people take advantage of that? Like it turned out, the good engineers do not take advantage of it. They will appreciate you, and they will work harder. The people who are quote unquote, you know, don't have high integrity, might take advantage of it. But people are smart. Good managers see through it right away. And they will take corrective action. It's a very nuanced life lesson. I only appreciate it at a time, and then later on, I found out why it works. So we talked about a mistake, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently, or where would you consider taking a different approach? I thought to myself many times if I should have quit earlier and work on it full time. And honestly, in terms of the company status, we actually might be further ahead if I work on it full time. However, I don't regret what I did because that was the best decision I could have made at that time. And second, in that year and year and a half, I also became a better engineer manager. I actually got exceeded expectations during that one year. I don't know how I did it. I think it's because that I I was so busy that I asked the engineers to do everything, and then the engineer thought, "Oh, this is the best manager ever because I'm empowered to do everything now." Maybe with the startup is I care too much, and so I'm dedicating. It's just not the most important things. So maybe the obvious answer is I should have quit earlier, but I still don't think I did it incorrectly. If I went back in time, if I have to tell myself what kind of mindset I will have, so I'm 33 now, and if I went back like three years ago, and what kind of advice will have told myself? And I think 
the advice will be do something and not have a perfect plan. Number one, don't feel like you don't have the right ingredients to be a manager or to be a founder because nobody has that. Nobody knows. And sometimes the best founders are very repressed, meaning that they might feel like they're the contrarians at work. Nobody really get along with them in a way. The best founders, I feel like they felt they are contrarians at work, and they felt like they're repressed by system, and their creativity is not getting shined through. They could also feel mellow and not the most outspoken and the most aggressive kind. But their grit is very repressed, and you don't know what you're made out of until you try. Did I know how to do sales? Did I know how to do marketing? Did I know how to talk to customers? Did I know how to build a team? Uh, yeah, maybe the last one I do, but everything else I don't. And you just have to learn it. So if I had to give my advice, is you know, when you are young and you have a job, do something, create a product, hire some people, moonlight it. Even if the company is not successful, at least you learn how to hire someone. At least you know how to build a GitHub and have people work on it, pay them, HR, legal, design a LLC agreement. There are so many skill sets that you have to learn on the way to starting a company that you don't need a perfect product to build that skill set. That's great advice. Well, Perry, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Cashflow Portal. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me here. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.